Welcome to the Romanticy Readers Podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Nicole. And this is your weekly dose of morally gray men, epic love stories, spicy smut, and strong female characters. We talk about all your favorite romanticy books and book boyfriends. All the book boyfriends. <laughs> Giving you our genuine thoughts and reactions theories, and overall vibes while reading the books everyone on Booktop and Bookstagram are talking about. We'll keep you updated on your favorite romanticy authors, all the books you have to add to your TBR pile, and even play a few silly games here and there. But fair warning, if you listen to this podcast, you will have more books to read than you have time for. Oh yeah, you're going to have so many books in your to be read pile. It's a given. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Welcome back to the Romanticy Readers Podcast. You've got Allie and Nicole here, and we are officially starting our Crescent City SJM Akatar Massverse content. <laughs> yes. So excited, guys. I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, I'm super excited. I honestly, th- this is the, this is like SJM is what re got me back into reading. Like I had not read in like years, probably like you know, five to eight years, maybe, maybe like one or two books a year, nothing ma- major. And then I read Akatar and the rest is history. Same, same. I hadn't read in probably a good 10, almost 15 years. And then I was walking past my local store and Crescent City was actually what I started with. I saw that beautiful cover and that pulled me in, having no idea the worlds that were awaiting for me. Because once I read that, I was like, good about that there wasn't a whole heap of spice in it but uh got into then throne of glass was obsessed with that then thought Nakata was maybe like her worst of the three books like like the <laughs> like I think that's just her little extra one that's not that great so then jumped into that and my mind was absolutely blown and I fell in love with recent and Cassian and the rest is history Oh, I'm so excited to get into these worlds because it's just the way that she writes, the her style of writing, the depth of her stories, they're just so epic and mm-hmm. you just keep reading them. You read them over and over again and it's been so fun to get back into some of these worlds again. I've just loved it. Yeah. So in today's episode, we're going to give you a summary of, the Crescents, of Crescent City 1 and we're going to talk about theories. Uh, but I will say at the top, we're going to try in this episode to just keep our theories to the Crescent City books, so one and two. Um, and then next week, try to start bringing in the rest of the worlds. Um, but I also don't know how well we'll do that. <laughs> so because you know, we have both read the whole SJM you know, world. So I do think, you know, I mean, we'll try to tag like, oh, this is an Akatar spoiler. Oh, this is a Throne of Glass spoiler, you know, so you can forward. But I do think you're going to get, you're going to have the best experience with the next several weeks of episodes if you've read the whole kind of mass verse. Absolutely. It's going to be very difficult because as I've read these books and because I'm rereading all these books, mainly Close Silver Flame and Crescent City 2, my brain is exploding with theories, but they're not just about one book. They're about all the books. So it's going to be really hard to keep it just to one, but I'm going to try and keep them at Crescent City just for now. And Ellie is going to leave this one today because I have not had time to read Crescent City 1 again. I have read Crescent City 2 and A Court of Silver Flame, whereas Ellie is all over Crescent City 1. So she's going to take the reins today. Yeah, yeah. Before we dive into all the Crescent City 
content. We'll, we'll start as we usually do with what we're currently reading. I actually had a pretty busy reading, you know, holiday. <laughs> um, I read uh, a, two books by an author called Imberly Ash. Um, a, they're like a a King Arthur retelling, but they're like as if, if in like a fey world. So they're really, really cool. Um, I think the first one is like a court of earth and sky or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's hard to remember yeah. the names, um, but look up Emberly Ash. They're really good. And we're so excited because she has agreed to come on our podcast. So keep an eye out for that, listeners. We're going to have our first author interview. We're super excited. She's an indie author, but these books are good. Both of them had solid four-star ratings. Um, her third book is coming out in April, which I'm really excited for. So I read that. And then I'm currently reading a book called The Queen of Roses, which is also a King Arthur retelling in a fae world. I just, I kind of got hooked on the King Arthur fae scenario. It's a different author. Yeah, yeah. It's a different author. This one's not quite as good, I would say. Like I'm almost done and I'm probably going to give it a two stars so Ooh, well that helps us support Emily Ash doesn't it she's going to yes. be out, yeah. out <laughs> it's good. I, I got it for free on stuff your kindle day um there's nothing like overly wrong with it other than it's just not and maybe maybe it's because I'm like comparing it to the Emberly Ash book or something. But anyway, that's what I've been reading. What have you been reading? <laughs> what have I been reading? Well, I have been committing to the mass universe. I have mainly been reading Present City 2 and A Court of Silver Flame. And that has taken a huge amount of my time because I've been really trying to thoroughly read it. So I had plenty to bring here. I also have been reading, I read Legendary because I'm finally getting into the Carol series. So I read some of that over the holidays, uh, but I've had to finish at Legendary and put it down and not pick up Finale because I just had priority reading that I had to do. And I was like, I'm sorry, Finale, as much as I want to know what is going to happen, you're just going to have to wait because I have to re-enter Mass first and I have to get through these books. And as I've said to you, I it was really interesting reading Court of Silver Flame and Crescent City 2 side by side because I just loved returning to Court of Silver Flame. That was just two chapters in. I was obsessed. I couldn't stop reading and I left Crescent City 2 by the wayside. I was just like, this is just not getting my attention. And then I realized <laughs> a few days ago, I need to read this for our podcast. <laughs> so I then committed and, you know, it is not my favorite book, guys. I'm so sorry. I want to come here and have this amazing positive review, but I struggled with the first three quarters of this book, and I feel a struggle with the connection with Bryce and Hunt. I don't want them to be endgame. We'll go into theories on that later. I just still feel like they're relatively immature characters, and there's just all this light story that's a bit naffy that's not really going anywhere, and I'm just like, what is the point of this? Why are we, why are they doing this? They're just doing stuff just because to get to the bigger story. It was only that last hundred pages of Crescent City 2 that then just blows my mind. Right. I feel like, I feel like it's like the first three quarters of the book. I'd probably give two stars. The last hundred pages, four stars. Last 20 pages, five stars. Like, <laughs> you know, I think that's so fair though. And so reflective of how other 
readers feel about the Crescent City books. I've heard so many people, you know, tell me like, I really want to get into Crescent City, but I'm just struggling to get through it. Even the first book. I mean, I didn't do like a full reread. I kind of like skimmed and sort of was like, okay, what's going on in this chapter? Okay, I can skip it, you know, and then would read important chapters. But there's a lot there and it's kind of a slog. And I'll say for me, and I don't know if you felt this way, knowing now that Crescent City is going to cross into at least the Akatar worlds, it just made me care so much less about what was actually going on in the Crescent City world. Mm. So the war, all the stuff with the rebels, I just am so uninterested in. I'm actually yeah. more interested in those tiny little details where they are talking about like the history of, yeah, you know, what's going to come in the future. World. Exactly. I, and it didn't, pull us in in any way I, I just felt like they're talking about the rebels and the mech suits and there's there's so many characters I literally started writing down all the characters because I was like why can I not remember who Orphean is Jaceba just just so many different names Pollux Baxter and so I actually started writing them down there's well over 40 and now, now look if I go to Akatar maybe there's that many characters in that as well but for some reason I can remember each and every character well maybe I can't remember their name but I know who they are yeah <laughs> in this I just don't remember them and I also sort of don't care that much it just doesn't I'm not yeah. attached to these characters like I felt like the romance and sorry guys here I am jumping into stuff with but the romance that happened in Crescent City 2 between Bryce and Hunt I didn't really feel it I didn't really it, we didn't get that slow build up that sort of happened in the first book they were just kind of chugging along and having this standard relationship with pizza and a vow of chastity and you know a <laughs> sunball yeah it's not very epic it's you know it's like they meet at work right if you think about it like they meet at work they kind of like become friends then they are like oh we kind of like each other but let's not do anything about it because we have to work together but then they're like oh well we like each other a lot so I guess I'm we're sorry, mates like, it's, that is yeah, not it's an epic romance that I expect from Sarah J Maas that is not an epic romance an epic romance is waiting 15,000 years your queen yeah putting it out there for the future theories i'm going to talk about the future that is an epic love story this is not and so i was i was honestly disappointed when they said that bryce and hunt were mates i actually felt disappointed i was like i'm like oh is that end game then like i don't want it to be end game it's just i'm just hoping crescent city 3 is going to take from that last 100 pages and just become a whole different world i want to see yeah. These characters grow. I feel like so many of them are still pretty much where they started from, with the exception of the, you know, things they've had to go through throughout Crescent City 1 and 2. They haven't really grown as people. Like, Rune's still in the same position. Ethan's, I guess, at an all-time low. He'll probably grow in the next book. Bryce is still the same. Hunt's more or less still the same. Like, their yeah. situation's different. But as a person, as they haven't grown or developed or changed, and I hope we're going to see that in the next book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get too far into our theories, um, because we, I'm sure we have so many, we did promise readers that we were going to do summaries. So in this episode, we're going to summarize CC1. And then in the next episode, we'll summarize CC2. And then in the next episode, we'll summarize Akasif. So that way, if you're not rereading, as long as you listen the next couple of weeks, you'll get all the summaries that you need. So um, I... <laughs> 
worked so hard to make this short and sweet, but it's hard. It's a thousand, almost a thousand page book. Um, there's a lot of details. Um, you know, so I, I'm going to try to go do this summary as quick as I can, but we'll see how long it takes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can I can either either give like about a sixty second one where I'm like nothing really happens for three quarters of the book, and then the last hundred pages, boom, all this stuff happens. Or we can have ten pages of going through each little step of every little thing that happens. And all the details. No in between. There's no in between for these books because they're quite complex. So yeah, yeah. Go for it. Alex. Okay, so this is my best best. You know, we bit. can do it. So, okay, so House of Earth and Blood, CC one. This book has four parts. And so I'm going to summarize this by each part. So there's the hollow, the trench, the canyon, and the ravine. And that's important because the second book has three parts, the abyss, the chasm, and the pit. And those things together, those seven things are like the, you know, layers or circles um, of hell. The circles um, of hell. Ooh, yeah, that. so that's how the books are broken up. So I don't know. I just, I don't know if it means anything other than, you know, just a fun way to, to na name the parts, but I just thought I would call that out for people. Um, part one, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but Danica dies in a horrific way, right? <laughs> We're introduced to a lot of things, um, but it kind of is a sucker punch, you know, you like get to see these two friends having a lot of fun. And then, you know, we think the book is going to go in one direction and then Bryce's best friend dies. So that's what happens in part one. <laughs> part two um this is where things start to get interesting bryce is commandeered by micah the governor and kind of like head arch archangel to investigate danica's murder um because the attacks have started happening again and he thinks that through her connection to danica she'll be able to help solve it he assigns hunt athalar a slave and his triari which is like his leadership team to help her as well Meanwhile, her brother Rune is ordered by their father, the Autumn King, to find the missing artifact, Luna's Horn. It was stolen the night before Danica died. Um, and eventually, Bryce Hunt and Rune all kind of realize that the demon they're hunting for is the Crystallos demon, which was created by the Prince of the Pit to hunt the Horn of Luna because it opens gates between worlds. And so they basically realize they have the same kind of like mission. Their top suspect initially is the human rebellion leader, Briggs, um, especially after there's bombing, but it turns out it's not him. Um, Hunt visits the Oracle, who tells him that the horn can be repaired, and most importantly, that he should stay away from Bryce Quinlan. Um, I have a theory for that. <laughs> um, they eventually realize that the footage from the night of the murder has been swapped out and that the only person who could have done that is Sabine, Danica's mother. So she becomes suspect number one. And that's how part one ends. Or sorry, part two. Then we go into part three. Um, Bryce and Hunt investigate Sabine, but she tells them that she actually swapped the footage to cover up that Danica is the one who stole Luna's form. Um, so that's really interesting. They meet up with Hunt's contact Therian, who becomes really important in future books, hoping that he'll have more details, but he doesn't really. Um, Lune, Rune learns from a medwitch that the horn could be repaired by this thing called Synth, uh, which they also discover all over Danica's clothes. Um, and Therian reveals that Danica was on a boat where a Synth deal occurred the night before she died. So Bryce is kind of like reeling. So there's all this information that she did not know about Danica. Um, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I just get really annoyed with Danica. I'm like, why did you keep all this stuff from your No, there's, 
so many secrets. There are so many secrets. Like she had this whole other life happening and Bryce had no idea. And I don't no know how idea. you can be best friends with someone and have that many secrets. And they weren't just about her being like the head of her craft and things like that. It was so much more. And then that so really good. expands further. I don't even know how Bryce still likes her at this point because if I my know. best friend gets this up from me, I'd be pissed. I'd be really, really pissed. Same. I'd be so mad. Um, so then we find out that Bryce knows a Prince of Hell, <laughs> Adis, and that they actually previously met when she had visited the Oracle and, um, he like came to her as a cat. And I will tell you guys, that is a really good chapter to go reread. So mm-hmm. go find nice. that chapter with Adis and reread it because there's a lot there. Um, Bryce discovers a hard drive in Janica's jacket that has videos of synth trials, um, where the humans were interjected with synth and, like, then shredded themselves up. Um, (laughs) Therian alerts Bryce to a synth deal happening, and she goes with him to the boat and discovers Hunt there, which, like, you know, she's been betrayed by him. Micah arrives and makes these, like, massive claims, right? He tells Bryce that Danica leaked the synth, was addicted to it, that no one murdered her. She took too much synth herself and then murdered her pack and then herself. Um, And so part three kind of ends with the mystery apparently or supposedly solved, right? That it was just all Danica being this crap person. Um, Obviously, we find out that's not true. So move into part four. Um, (laughs) Hunt's punishment is to be given to Sandriel. So that is his old lover's sister who he has like really bad blood with um and is basically a punishment to have to go back to her Mm -hmm. um and bryce basically just like immediately forgives hunt which really annoys me uh Mm -hmm. she's like she was like so betrayed but then she's like oh no i can't let him go to sandriel annoying uh and she tries to buy him from her for 97 million marks but sandriel doesn't agree and then bryce even tries to give herself in his place um which she agrees to and reveals to like the whole world that Bryce is the Autumn King's daughter. Um, yes. But Rune comes and kind of was basically like, you're my property due to Fey Law and you can't give yourself up. And that really makes her mad. Um, oh, then the great. summit starts. Great. I know Rune. Oh, I, okay. I love Rune. <laughs> we'll talk so much more about Rune. Um, then like on the last day of this summit, Micah isn't there and he instead visits Bryce uh, she immediately realizes that something is off and has Jezepa patch in the cameras to the summit. They basically all watch as Micah admits to being behind everything. He blackmailed Danica into stealing yeah. the horn. He injected her with synth. She was not like addicted to it. Um, and he even like got the Autumn King to make Rune search for the horn. And so he discovered that the horn was actually tattooed on Bryce's back and that it is written, and this is really important because I have a theory about this, in the language of the universe. Um, so more on that later. And he is going to use her to open a portal to get power to win the war. I don't know. I don't totally understand his motivations on all of this. Um, it doesn't matter because, like, he injects her with synth and slams his power into her back. They think it doesn't work. Um, basically... Bryce is able to seal him away in a bathroom while she saves her chimera, basically like pet mm-hmm. <laughs> searing. Yes. And then she kills him and she kills him in the most epic way possible. Okay. One, she retrieves the Godslayer rifle from Jessica's office and she shoots him, which also, mm-hmm. which kills him, right? He's dead after she shoots him, but that's not enough for her. Then she gets Danica's sword out of the closet and she slices him in half, like vertically. 
Mm-hmm. Then she lights him on fire and vacuums <laughs> up his office. <laughs> as you do, I as you do. Because then you really do not piss off someone like Bryce. Like, because she will not just kill you. She will kill you multiple times and make sure that yeah. there is no scary of evidence left that you even existed in the first place. You are now yeah. in a vacuum cleaner. So well done, Micah. We're glad you're gone. Yep. And like everyone in the summit just watches it and they're like, huh, okay. <laughs> just don't even react. I just love it. Um. Anyway, then Bryce goes outside and realizes that the horn worked and it actually opened up portals to hell and that demons are everywhere. Being Bryce, she goes and helps to fight them. She doesn't get into the shelter in time and decides to use her starborn light to hold the demons back. Um, Hunt saves her from a missile attack but is injured and so she realizes the only way to stop the attack and to save Hunt is to make the drop. But she doesn't have an anchor. Um, Somehow she makes... The, the drop with Danica's spirit as her anchor, which is apparently supposed to be impossible, but it's not. And she seals the gates. She heals Hunt. All is well. But then after the after the attack, Rigolus, one of the Asteri, calls Bryce and Hunt and tells them that Hunt is no longer a slave. He's free, but they have to lay low. So mm-hmm. that's how it ends. But the epilogue, you guys, if you are only going to go reread one thing, you need to go re- reread the epilogue. It's just like a couple of pages. I had forgotten completely about this epilogue. It is a scene between Jessica and Adis. They know each other. They know who her dad is. They reveal that Bryce has Thea's light. And that they, like, are kind of waiting for Bryce and Hunt to come into their power. And that's yeah. how it ends. Yeah. So, anyway, that I know that was very, very long. <laughs> but I don't know how else to do it without that was actually you know good mine is even more dull and boring and I've literally almost gone like sentence but I've basically just rewritten the book in about six pages I think I've gone all right this part's interesting and then they go and do this and then they go over here and they do that it's yeah it's very hard to pull this book together like there are right. other books where I can just tell you from from my memory I can just say right, right. this happened and then they went here and then they went you know but this is so complex the story is so complex yeah. and sort of complex with a, like with a mixture of boring yeah <laughs> kind right. of zone out right. a little bit like I don't know really what's going on and I don't think I care because I don't think it's that important and so it takes a lot of concentration to remember each little section of what happens yeah. but I did my best I'm well sure they're very good very good but hopefully especially because I bet a lot of you listening are maybe going to reread CC1, CC2, but like you're not going to reread CC1. So, you know, I wanted to give you enough details to kind of be like, here's the things that, you know, were important. Especially those areas that really stand out, which I think the Princes of Pell and everything they're talking about is so mm-hmm. interesting. And so much more of that comes out in uh, Crescent City 2. But it's really interesting that conversation in the epilogue with Adis. And uh, I mean, do we go into this theory yet or not? But there's, Apollyon and there's Adis and Adis seems to be very uh, focused on this war and it sounds like that discussion was around getting them to come into their power and just really really focused on the war that they want to bring back that they've potentially been waiting 15,000 years for yeah what about Apollyon what about Apollyon I I read a page 666 in Crescent City 2 which if you need to just read one page that's going to blow your mind read page 666 of Crescent City 2. Okay. 
tell me what's on that page because I don't I don't remember. Um, and then I want and then I'm gonna say something. So, but tell me what's on the page first. Okay, okay. So without having the page in front of me, so this is when uh, Bryce. So Bryce has just been like they've just been declared as mates at uh, so what Celestina's sort of I don't know party, and then she yeah. goes to sleep that night, and Napoleon comes to visit her. Okay, so okay, yep, I remember this. Scene. And it is their conversation. So he says, Adis wouldn't want me to come here to talk to you. Why? I don't know. And then he tells her about how Adis was in love with the last Darwin queen. And yeah. he and she's like shocked. She says, oh, I didn't know about that. And he sort of talks to her about that. Biggest thing for me, he touches her face. Like he, he comes to her as like a golden, good-looking guy, but with fully black eyes. But he touches her face and he says, when you learn the truth, come and visit me. Now he says, come and visit me. Not come and visit Adis, come and visit me. And uh, as we go through the book, like, so Apollyon, I think, sends some hounds to try and, I don't know, I, I think my thought is that he's trying to get her to fully come into her power because she kind of has to fight these and she has to teleport yeah. and she finally does that with the help of Hypaxia's power. But but then she kind of realizes later on, she thinks, oh, he actually helped me grow by doing that. Even though it was scary and challenging, he helped me do that. So I'm not rooting for Apollyon. I actually kind of want him to be endgame. And he is the ultimate dark horse, ultimate morally great character. What are your thoughts, Ali? I'm I'm I am shooketh. <laughs> I am shooketh. Okay, I I agree. I do not think that Hunt and Bryce are endgame. All right, like yes. I am yes. also aligned with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always kind of thought it was going to be Adis, right? Because Bryce has Thea's power and Thea's light, and mm-hmm. we know that Thea and Adis were like lovers, like the love of Adis's life, but. I, I love the dark horse idea with Apollyon and okay. I, I was going to save this theory, but I have to tell you because I feel like it actually makes a lot of things make sense. So first let me just call out, right. Apollyon, the Prince of the pit, he is like the most powerful of them. He's sort of like the highest level, which would basically be Satan. And that reveal is on page six, six, six. How crazy is that? I wonder if she did that. I know that is good. There is no way that that was not there for a reason, that that was yeah. not the page she chose to have that conversation on. Yeah. Okay. Now, yes. now, okay, I think that Apollyon is Hunt's father. And here is why. Okay. So in that epilogue in CC1, they talk about how like Jessica and Adis know who his dad is and that they, that he would be disappointed in Hunt because Hunt hasn't come into his power. Um, But then they talk about how he would have been really proud of Hunt for like saving Bryce and and all of this stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At another point when Adis comes and visit, this is all in book one. When Adis, when, when Bryce summons Adis for the first time, he kind of looks at Hunt and he's like, what is someone like you doing a slave, right? Which means that Adis at the very least recognizes his power, okay? And when I read that epilogue, at first I thought it was Adis that was Hunt's dad because um, Jessica said something like, how sentimental of you. Um, But then Adis is like, well, you knew him best. So kind of indicating that they're not the same person. 
And on that same page, on page 666, it says, Apollyon says to Bryce, Hunt was bred to hunt demons. He was bred. And that is why Hunt was a demon hunter, why he was so good, because he was specifically bred to hunt our kind, basically. Yes. Which tells me that potentially he was bred by Apollyon specifically to to like hunt demons or or to have like to have like his own his kind of son in this world and what if if apollyon and bryce are like mates that, like maybe that would explain why she kind of has this like mating bond with hunt and why she's kind of attracted to him but it's not mm-hmm. fully there because they are like that's his son so it's like it has apollyon's essence like, the essence i'm of getting very incest vibes now i'm just like oh, <laughs> it's a little bit, it is a little bit weird but um i don't know i'm like so i'm so convinced that apollyon is hunt's dad because hunt is a bastard we don't know his power mm-hmm. also they say multiple times that no other angel has his power yes and there was a part in crimson city 2 where they spoke about you, your scent is different than every other angel's like yeah. they said something about that. So he has yeah. definitely got something that is not that. And and yes, it could be some kind of demon. Well, he has that connection because Apollyon says, I it's easier for me to reach out to Hunt than it is for me to reach out to you. I can only reach out to you on this night because it's when the veil's the thinnest. Whereas for Hunt, he can come to him really at any time because maybe he's got some demon in him. Yeah, or it's because he, that's his, it's, it's his son or something um but that would be so interesting because we also know that the asteri created the angels and so and hunt is part angel right because his mom was an angel so maybe hunt is like part angel essence of asteri and part you know prince of hell it it just like i don't know it could be so cool right (laughs) it would be very cool it would be very cool it would definitely be great to find out that there's that connection but then they also like why are they in this world because um and again i won't jump too much into crescent city 2 yet until we've gone through i guess the summary there but like they've like so the asteri they went into like hell first and then they couldn't stay there so they had to leave and then they ended up getting into midgard but then i think it just had humans on the planet which weren't good food for them so they ended up grabbing fae and all different beings from all different places and bringing them there for their own personal massive feast of first light and second light that they're obviously after so Yeah, it's it's kind of so. Why would he have come here? Because it seems like the place they have the least connection with is hell, um, unless they wanted a part of that or he somehow got into Midgard. It's. I think, I think that the princes of hell and the Asteri are like they have been battling for all of time, millennia, um, because. I don't know why I didn't realize this before. I really should have. It's like super obvious. Other people might have realized this. But Crescent City is basically just like an angels and demons story, right? You have the Asteri, which are angels. They live in the eternal city, right? They consume light, which is what angels are always do. And then you have hell. You have the demons. Um, You know, the Prince of the Pit at some point even says that he, you know, is the, the offspring of 
chaos, right? You know, this kind of primordial power. So at the end of the day, I think that this is an angels and demons story. I think that the, um, the demons, you know, are the princes of hell have just been kind of like battling the Asteria and the angels for all of time. And so, yeah. and that's why they say like, we want, we lost that, like, you know, Apollon even on that page says we lost that part of the war right? 15,000 years ago because of Thea. He doesn't say we lost the war. He says we lost that part of the war. We lost that one battle, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that battle was 15,000 years ago. No, right. it's been it's going for a really war. No, and that's so yeah. interesting. And I love that in this, your first go-to is that, oh, hell's bad and angels are good. But what we're learning as this goes along is the angels are not good at all. They're actually quite evil. They definitely right. don't have any feeling or care towards the people that they're allowing to exist really just for their food whereas hell seems to have a lot more of an attachment to the mid guardians and actually seem to have a lot more care or some of them do i mean we sort of see and again i'm going to jump into crescent city too because that's what i've read recently where (laughs) he goes to the where they the mystic goes to the prince of the ravine so like the bottom bottom part of hell and he he just wants to eat souls like he's just like yeah i'm hungry i mean i don't have much care and he sort of says i'm not like my brothers adis and apollyon that actually would be civil and actually care about people I just want to eat soul so he's really at that depth of just not having a whole lot of care whereas we're obviously seeing Adis and Apollyon are quite different they have empathy yeah. they have care they possibly have their own agenda but they seem to care for people care mm-hmm. for the Midgardians and Bryce and the you know Starborn Queen and hopefully love stories yeah. to come hopefully yeah you know the the other thing I'll, I'll add about this like Apollyon is Hunt's dad theory is um so Hunt is named Orion which I think is really interesting and I I don't think SJM would have given him that name if it wasn't important uh right she could have just named him Hunt and left it at that but she does name she says that his real name is Orion in the story of Orion Orion is actually the offspring of a god of Zeus or Poseidon kind of depends on which what you look at but in that story I mean and this is how you know this is kind of weird but this is just Greek mythology right Mm -hmm. Zeus um sort of appears as like a like a creature right um to breed you know Orion's mom or whatever that's how Greek mythology always goes but we also know that the princes of hell can come into the world but only as lesser creatures right that's how i Adis visits bryce mm-hmm. as a cat so i could see that's sort of how um apollyon created hunt with his mom as he kind of came as another kind of creature got mm-hmm. her pregnant you know and created this sort of like half angel half demon combo which is why hunt is so unique and that lines up with the Orion story. Ooh, that's interesting. So, that's interesting. And that would outline how Hunt has come to be in this world. And potentially they wanted him as some kind of spy or some kind of, I don't know, to have some kind of connection to hell in this world. That's very interesting. I never thought of that theory before. And I, I don't know, but I can see how it could play out. I, can, I could see how that could actually be accurate, which is very very interesting i yeah. looked up the greek mythology as well around apollyon and what was quite interesting mm. is that he is the god of music and dance which mm. 
I was like, well, you know how like Bryce always talks about her love of dance, her love of ballet. Yeah. She's always upset that that's something that she can't explore. And I was like, well, that's kind of a nice matchup, isn't it? Like that would kind of. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yes. That's really She's also like, I think, the favorite of Zeus and one of the most powerful. So all kind of standing to that and I love what you said about that Apollyon is basically Satan he's basically the strongest and most powerful of the seven princes of hell I love seven princes of hell stories this is kingdom I know. Of the kid. I, I know. it's like as I and said I want this to be endgame I want one of these guys what Aedas or Apollyon I don't mind and just so long as it's not Hunt I want them to be endgame I yeah you, and you know in the trope of like you know hell versus angels kind of stories you know when you read books that are those kinds of stories you know the demons or the the hell it always is better than you think they are right mm-hmm. um and so i i think it would be I, I think it would make a lot of sense and be interesting if this is like an angels versus demons story that the angels are actually the bad guys and the demons are the good guys you know because that yeah. would really fit the trope uh um, yeah. one more thing i'm gonna say on um hunt and bryce mm-hmm. uh and how i don't think they're end game i more on orion orion in like every story is killed by his lover yes. so he, whether that's athena whether that's gaia there's a there's you know obviously there's a m- bunch of different stories but basically in every story he's killed by his lover so i think that potentially bryce is going to kill hunt um i don't know if it will be on purpose i don't know if it'll be an accident i don't know if it will be permanent right like maybe he'll die but then he'll come back or something but it could be that like she'll kill him but then like she's actually mates with polyon um i don't know well, i don't know there's, there's I, a lot know. I, feel like, I should be like no i should be so upset about that and yet i'm not because i'm like yes yes get out of the way we need we need a more epic love story Yes. It's like, even when they like admit to each other that they're mates, they're like, they j- literally just came down from the gym. Like, yeah. it's not epic enough. You know, they're like, oh, we just like fooled around in the gym and said we love each other. And oh, I guess we're mates now. Like, yeah. Yeah. And their first official hookup is, is like in a submarine. Like, and, you know, it yeah. didn't exactly feel like, I don't know, lights. I mean, I think they're in a nice garden maybe, but like, and, but yeah. it just wasn't, and, and he was all overcome with, you know, being like kind of fae mate. Like he'd gone into like protective mode and he'd like switched off. So she had to like have sex with him to try and calm him down. But it wasn't, it just, I never felt a degree of connection. They're always just hooking up. It feels like, it feels like they're in their early twenties and they're just, you know, it doesn't, it feels like your first relationship, not your final relationship. Yeah, and yeah. I say it shocks me that he's her mate because it just doesn't feel like it's that level of intensity. I no, I want more and- than that. I, I said, I'm just finding myself going, what would Trump make? What would Trump make? Is it that it's a God and that they can change it? Or, or is this Sarah J Mass kind of teaching us that she said in other books that just because someone's your mate doesn't actually mean that they're the right person for you? Like maybe yeah. she's going to really show us a story where even though Bryce has a mate, he's maybe not really allowing her to grow and develop as a person, whereas maybe Apollyon or Aedas or whoever potentially might be endgame might actually allow her to grow and develop. And that is what Apollyon does in Crescent City too. He encourages her to grow. He puts her outside her comfort zone, maybe sometimes in a little bit of a dangerous way. But, you know, I mean, I think he knew she could handle it to grow and develop and get stronger. It's 
just, yeah. 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 Totally. Um, and like, even when Rune sees day for the first time, he, um, sorry, I need to sneeze. <laughs> well, Allie, <laughs> you probably from a call this last week, haven't you? <laughs> it happens. <laughs> you know, the, like, at first I was like, okay, maybe the mating is just different, right, in Crescent City. But then Rune sees Day, the hind, and, like, has this, like, fey kind of, like, tropey moment where he's like, that's my mate. I can smell her. I know it instantly. Yeah. Yeah. I still have that, and she's fey. No. 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 So. It's kind of like, I'm just like, we're just mates. Hey, it's like, hey, you're my boyfriend. It's like, boyfriend, yeah. mate, same, same. It's not... Exactly. The the relationship that developed between Rune and the Hind, like, or Day, sorry. <laughs> there we go. Well, I should have read Crescent City 2 by now anyway. Like, that was way more intense. You, and you felt that relationship developing. I was so much more invested in their relationship than I was in Bryce and Hunt. So much more yeah. invested. It made me question Sarah J Mass. It made me start going... Did, did have I has she forgotten how to write? <laughs> she forgot to write an epic love story. Like where's where's the passion and the love and the all-consuming obsession obsession that we normally get with yeah. the relationships? But I Sarah J. Mass has often in the past brought it in book three, book four. So that yep. is what I'm that is what I'm hoping. That is what I'm hoping. I was going to save this theory for a future episode when we kind of are talking more about the mass verse, but it just fits in here. So now we can't wait. Okay. So in Throne of Glass, right, we find out that not only is there this thing called mates, I can't remember the exact word, um, but there's this thing where like your magic is complementary to each other. Do you remember the name of it at all? Oh, no, but I remember, yeah, but I remember Rowan and Elin have it, like they can like connect. It was that and they were mates. So they were like, mm-hmm. like your magic kind of, and it's sort of like the essence of your magic recognizes the essence of the other person's magic. Yeah. When your magic is combined, it can like do special things. And that doesn't necessarily have to correlate to being mates. It just happens to for Aelin and Rowan. So my theory is that actually Hunt and Bryce, because again, we know that all these kind of fey creatures have all sort of come from like potentially a single origin, like a single world. So mm-hmm. I think that Hunt and Bryce are that, like that their magic is complementary because we've seen, right? Like yes. he can power her when they when they kind of combine yeah, together. exactly. And that that is maybe confusing them to make them think that they're mates. And like, that's why the scent changes. And that's why like, cause there is that kind of deep soul level connection, but it's not a mate connection, magic connection. Yes. I love that. That is so good. And that is so right. Because I I swear when I read this, I just became more and more disappointed because I was like, oh, their, their magics work really well together. That obviously they're mates now. Like there's all the pieces have clicked together, suggesting that this is end game. But that is so accurate and it doesn't always mean that they're mates. And it is interesting that everyone has confused it. Everyone has said, oh, well, your sense of change, so obviously your mates, your, you know, your magics combine really well together. That obviously means your mates, but it's so true. And what yeah. we also learned at the end of Crescent City 2 is that there are the different kinds of fae and that they are obviously the fae from the Akatar world because that's why um, Bryce ends up being transported there because um, – yeah. 
the fairy says that that star that starlight will send you to where you're from and she was trying to go to hell but I think it ended up just taking her to where she was from and hence she's landed in the night court and she's ended up there obviously the fae like rune rice are from Akatar world and yeah and so, so I, I guess that does call into question then like does the Akatar world connect to the throne of glass world at all and so does she have that kind of like magic connection? I don't know. I just, it, to me, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, so I don't exactly quite know how all the, all the worlds are going to kind of interact on a magic level, but I do think that Bryce and Hunt are that kind of like whatever Aelin and Rowan were with their magic. Cause, and, and even if Bryce and Hunt are end game, right? So even if there are people out there who are like, you guys are crazy, Bryce and Hunt are end game, they could still not be mates, right? They could mm-hmm. still just have that magic connection. Bryce has another mate, right? Maybe it's Apollyon, maybe it's Adis, and maybe she chooses Hunt over her mate, right? And she chooses yeah. that magic connection that she has instead of her mate connection. So that is also a possibility. Um, but I just, oh. I don't know. I love it as an option. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see Sarah J Mass deciding to make it end game and keeping it that it's Bryce and, you know, we've, sort of at the end we've seen uh hunt potentially lose all his memories and that because they've tattooed the the crown yeah. to him again so we don't know what hunt's going to become and i guess the typical story would be that they'll go back they'll heal him they'll live happily ever after but gosh i hope it's something more interesting than that because for me this relationship is boring and it just doesn't yeah. seem epic enough and i want it to be so much more epic and i want more twists and turns as well i mean i feel like the problem with this with Crescent City 2 was that there wasn't enough big story being told. There were little snippets here and there, but otherwise there was just this overarching sort of story about the mech suits and trying to find the rebels and this and that. And I know, but it just didn't really feel important and it didn't really, I didn't connect with the story the way I have with others. It was only that last 100 pages that the story really ramped up. And yeah. now what is going to happen now that she's jumped into a different world? So now I want to jump in quickly, Ali, into a theory you shared the other day on Instagram about what the Asteri are, what what they possibly, and maybe a connection to the VARP. Did you want to talk about that one today? Yeah, sure. I guess since we, again, like I was going to wait until we kind of get into the mask first, but we've already broken, we broke our rules, so we'll keep going with it. Okay, so for the longest time, I thought that the Asteri and the Vogue were the same thing right? Like that was sort of my, you know, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like they're the same thing. And so, you know, the throne of glass vi- villains are the same as the Asteri. And that's kind of what was the villain in Prithian like 15,000 years ago or whenever. But once I started reading, rereading this book and, and honestly, once I had the realization of like, oh, this is an angels and demons story. Yeah. I was like, actually, the Vogue are different. They're a different thing. I think that the princes of hell and the Vogue are the same thing. And once I had that like realization and theory, I was like, I I started to find so much more evidence for it. So we often see, like we saw the prince of the chasm when, or yeah, when, when, um, when the mystic goes and visits that one prince, he has black eyes. The Vogue have black eyes. The yeah. demons have black blood. The Vogue had black yeah. blood. Um, they had like levels of hierarchy, the Vogue did, right? There were like they had there were kings and they had like kings yeah. and then minions under them. Same with like princes, you know, princes 
kings, same thing. There's a hierarchy. So I am becoming more and more convinced that the Volg are the same as the princes of hell and that the Asteri are a separate being from yeah. them, which again is why I think there's been this like, maybe for all of time, right? Potentially yeah. or between the Asteris or the angels and the Volg or the demons. Um, it's so interesting. It's, I definitely think the Asteri are a different being altogether. Like they are different. They feel like aliens to me. They're completely and say they feed off this light. They completely from food source, that sort of thing. But the Valg and the Princess of Hell, I don't know how I feel about this because the Valg was so evil and they were so obsessed with just power and taking over people's minds and things like that. Whereas the Princess of Hell, particularly Apollyon and Edith, feel so different. They have empathy, they have care. I don't think we saw that in any of the Valg that we saw in Throne of Glass. We didn't see any emotion they just wanted to kill and destroy and overpower and and come and take over the world so obviously the intentions of the princes of hell in crescent city two and one feel quite different they feel much more good basically they feel like they've got good intentions i thought like honestly that too like i agree with you i want adis to be good i want apollyon to be good but then when i when i think about that scene with thanatos the prince of the chasm, the one that the mystic visits. Mm-hmm. And he is sort of saying, I'm not like Apollyon and Atis. Yes. I just want to eat souls, right? Yes. That to me sounds like a Volg. So it's like, what if True. the Volg, the three kind of Volg kings that came to the throne of glass world were sort of like lower level, right? And sort of like Ooh. the lower level yes. human you are, the more kind of base instincts eater of worlds you are and then kind of the higher level ones are you know they they want to have more to do with the world they are you know they can fall in love with people in the world um but then you know that really makes me ask the question then it's like who is the good guy is this really just a story of like two bad guys (laughs) fighting each other for all of time and now you know our awesome heroines bryce Feyre, nesta hopefully aelin have to go and be like you know what you're all bad we're just gonna eliminate you all that would be cool that would be cool that would be cool but then i also think that that's human nature as well isn't it or i mean not that it's a lot more than that but that they're not necessarily good or evil it's about their intentions and what they're trying to do and that people's behavior can change whether they are theoretically a bad person or demon or whatever they are or a good one and we're just seeing in those princes that they have a lot more intention and good intention than just potentially just being hell and everyone's just assuming they're evil but the perhaps potentially not as evil as we thought they would be and I'm very interested to see what they do in the next book because I think that it's going to be so much bigger and I think if Bryce gets an opportunity to travel to hell and actually visit there that's going to be game-changing Yes. Oh, I really want to know, do you think Bryce is even going to go back to Midgard in the third? Or do you think she's just going to be between Akatar and maybe Hell and just doesn't even go back there at all? That it's, I have really wondered, like, what do I think is going to happen in this book? Um, I, I don't know if I have an answer, honestly. I, and normally I would be like, oh, I hope she goes back for a hunt. But like, 
I actually don't care if she doesn't go back for a hug. You know, like I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, so I don't I don't know. Like she has to go back, I think, at least at some point, because what I don't want and I trust SJM, but like I don't think it would be fun to have a whole book where she's kind of off doing her thing and then like the Midgard people are kind of doing their thing and they don't ever kind of team up. Yeah. I think that wouldn't be very fun. But then it worked really well in Air of Fire. Like Air of Fire is one of my favorite novels when, you know, They're and, not- and that, yeah. that was just so changing for Aelin. Like, you know, where she changed, she went from, you know, Selena to Aelin and found herself, found her power, and Rowan. It was epic. And she didn't end up going back till the fourth it was the fourth book that she ended up going back. So I would be really open to this third book being all about Bryce and her own personal growth and finding out who she really is. Because at the moment, she doesn't want to lead. She doesn't want to control anything. She just wants to eat pizza and hook up with yeah. months and just live her life. And I oh, yeah, am a princess, but I don't really want to own that. Like she needs to grow up and mature up and she needs someone strong with her, I think, to empower her and grow her and right. help her realize who she should be and what a starborn queen is going to be. So I would yeah. love this to be all about that. And I cannot wait for a sassy Nesta and a sassy Bryce to um <laughs> to interact yeah. with each other. I am so excited for that. I think that if I actually think that like Nesta might be the one who is like you need to grow up, girl. Like, get your big girl pants on and be the queen that you are, you know? Because yeah. every time Bryce has gotten involved in something, it's it's kind of just been like she's, like, reluctant to do it, you know? Yes. She's like, she's oh, okay, like, I guess I'll do this. Or, or like, she's driven by, like, a need to want to help her friends, to help people who are, like, weakened. Like, she wants to help a meal. But it's not really driven by this, like, you know, sense of like, I am powerful. I am a queen and I have to save the world. Definitely. You know, she hasn't gone to that place yet. No. And I think that um, it's being that thrust upon her her. rather than her owning it and saying, yes, this is who I am now and who I want to be. She's sort of just like, oh yeah, well, okay. I'm in this situation now. I have to do it. She does have care and she's doing so many things behind everyone's backs. We end up finding out later on that she's been involved in something the whole time and just hasn't told people. So she almost has some of Danica's elements there where she just keeps a lot of secrets herself. But I still think she has a lot of maturing up. So it would be so interesting to see how her and Nesta play out. That would be so interesting. And whether they're actually going to get along or whether they're going to clash. And as you say, whether Nesta's actually going to pull her up and say, hey, you need to step up. I've gone through my growth journey. You need to go through your growth journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, I can't wait. I can't believe we're, like, just three weeks away. I, I, I know, truly, it I, is so I'm exciting. So and I think on that note, we maybe need to wrap this up so that we can bring so. you up <laughs> to summary and we yes. can add more theories to this today. So, yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, like we said, we are definitely not done with Crescent City, Akasif. We have so many more ideas and theories. So please keep tuning in. Follow us on Instagram so that you can catch all of our live theories as we think them. And uh, we look forward to bringing you more content. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Romantic Readers podcast. If you liked this episode, please rate, review and subscribe so you never miss an episode and to help more readers like you find our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on our Instagrams, Book Loveaholic, Alley Cats and Books, and Romanticy Readers Podcast for even more content on your favorite books. As always, reach out to us on Instagram with your questions, theory ideas, podcast recommendations, or just general gushing about your fave books. And you might even be featured here. Thanks again for listening. Bye. Bye.